what's the crack, comrades? Happy Halloween. Uh, this is Sam and Casey's Movie Club. I'm Sam. I'm Casey. And, and <laughs> we're doing The Exorcist, um, the original one, I guess. Also, we're talking about the other ones, but I personally only rewatched the original. So you can tell me about mm-hmm. the other versions. I also, I had big plans. I was going to like rewatch all the movies and the TV show. <laughs> I was going to do so much research. I was going to reread the book. I didn't do any of that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I did think it was a little bit ambitious, but mm-hmm. whatever. So we'll mainly I'll, I'll touch on the the other ones. Well, I'll do, we'll do like a quick uh, review of all the other movies and what you should and shouldn't watch. I think, uh, but this mm-hmm. is mainly going to be about the original The Exorcist, which is from nineteen seventy three. Yes, and it is. Yeah. It is directed by William Friedkin. It's written by William Peter Blatty based on his novel, his best-selling novel. Uh, it stars Linda Blair as, is it Reagan or Regan? Because I think they say it both ways within the movie. I've been saying Reagan think, like the president. I think the spelling would indicate that it's Regan. Well, the spelling according to Wikipedia. But mm. hey, who cares? I'm pretty sure everybody, like all the doctors say Regan, but then her mom says Reagan, and I'm like, her mom would know, surely. Um, anyway, we'll probably call her either one. And then, <laughs> yeah, also her mom, Chris, is played by Ellen Burstyn, and there is also a guy called Father Karras, who is played by Jason Miller, and I believe it's his first film role. I think he didn't used to be an actor before this. Uh, and also Max von Sydow, from the Igmar Bergman movies is there as Father Marin. Uh, so, also, okay, first of all, are either of the priests hot? <laughs> I have very <laughs> important, hard-hitting questions for you. I think, yeah, I think the young priest is hot. Okay, see, the thing is, I, I used to think he was hot, but then this time I was like, is Father Marin not kind of hot? <laughs> I think you've just watched the movie too many times. That happens. Your brain starts to go. <laughs> but us normal people. <laughs> us normal people. The young priest is hot. hot. Should we make it like an official segment before we start talking about every movie to talk about who is or isn't hot? We talk We talk a lot about who is and isn't hot in movies. It's like... been happening pretty consistently recently. I think we should just like make it a part of the okay. show. Yeah, we, we should do like, we should have like an official like hot or not movie, movie edition thing. Cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so what's this movie about? So there's this, it opens with this like archaeological dig going on in, I guess, Iraq, and they find this medallion, and it's an artifact representing Pazuzu, sure, which is a a demon. And um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it, uh, (laughs) I don't know actually, how does the medallion get to Regan. Does it? It's... Doesn't it? <laughs> Chris has it by the end of the movie. Yeah, but I thought Father Marin brought that with him when he was. We're jumping ahead, but Father Marin is going to go there to do an exorcism. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah. Father Marin brings it from Iraq into America, but we don't know how it gets to where it's going. I guess. Um. But yeah, Chris is like working on a movie, which is directed by her friend Burke Dennings. Um, and she lives in this house with her daughter, Regan, and she has like servants and a personal assistant, I think two servants and a personal assistant. So there's like people in the house. Um, and um, at the same time as we're like following Chris and Regan's story, we're also following Damien Carras's story. Uh, and he has like an elderly mother who lives in New York and he's talking about how he doesn't feel fit to be like a counselor to other priests because he's losing, losing his faith. So he's like going through a lot. <laughs> um, and then weird shit starts to happen in Chris and Regan's house. Um, Which, sorry, is ignited by Reagan using a Ouija board. <laughs> yes, she mentions a, an imaginary friend and or a ghost named Captain Howdy. Um, yeah, and so weird shit starts to happen. Uh, for example, um, she, like, Regan talks about how her bed is, like, shaking violently and one night, Chris is throwing, like, a party, and Regan comes downstairs, and she, like, says weird stuff, and then pees herself, and then Chris has to go, like, give her a bath and put her to bed. Um, yeah, and I guess stuff keeps happening with Regan. She keeps getting worse and worse, and they, like, Chris goes to find doctors and stuff to try and figure out what's going on. They keep doing tests on her, like, really, like gross and violent looking tests but I guess that's just what medical science was back then I it's do, horrible I, I want to talk more about this because in I watched a, a making of documentary on my blu-ray side note this podcast is like costing me money I keep buying blu-rays <laughs> like, I'll watch the that's extras. not the podcast's fault because I tell you not to do that Anyway, I watched the making of documentary, and on the making of documentary, they were talking about the medical examination scenes and how that, according to them, was like the thing that possibly freaked people out the most about this movie. Surprisingly, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I did not find it like that, which I guess is not surprising because I'm not a person who is afraid of needles. I'm kind of like weirdly into needles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of got yeah the the part I kind of got ASMR in like a medical examination ASMR kind of way where he's like mm-hmm. okay now we're putting this thing okay now we're gonna like I don't know I find that very soothing. <laughs> yeah, of course you do. Anyway, <laughs> I also didn't find it. I didn't find it too um, uh, scary because I also have weird things or like watching like medical videos on YouTube, so it wasn't terrible for me but also I didn't like like having to watch a child go through all that it was still pretty it was still pretty bad even though it wasn't particularly scary um yeah so she gets all these medical um examinations and they can't find what's wrong with her they keep doing brain scans because they are like these changes in behavior point to something going on with her brain but they keep doing scans and nothing's coming up and she keeps like getting worse and worse um and eventually her mom decides because she's like run out of options with doctors so she's like 
I think someone tells her about possession, that she's like, my daughter's possessed, and so the now doctors, I need to find a priest. The yeah. doctors themselves bring it up, uh, which might be surprising, but they're like, there's no other option. <laughs> they do mention that exorcisms kind of, like, they they work uh, because mm-hmm. of, like, the power of suggestion. Like, if you think you're possessed, getting an exorcism is, 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 um, is going to work for you. Uh, so the doctors encourage her to to do that she's still not sure but about it then they like do ask her if she or uh reagan believe in exorcism mm. and they don't so i think that's on the doctor's part maybe not the best because you should make sure before you suggest doing that <laughs> yeah so they're like maybe she should get an exorcism so um reagan seeks out dr or yeah uh damien cross um and convinces him to go take a look at Reagan. And he is like, first, we have to make sure that she's, this is actually a possession. So he takes a look at her to like, um, verify that she's not just someone who's going through psychological um, air terrors mm-hmm. or making this up. Uh, and I, think, Sorry, I don't think, I don't think you mentioned that he is also a psychiatrist. Um, yeah, he's like yeah. a proper like scientific. He's not like a guy who does exorcists. He's like <laughs> the priest that they sent to school to like get um, educated in psychiatry and medical science and all that stuff. So he's very reluctant to like buy into this whole exorcism thing, but he does like go and visit Reagan, and he finds out that she's like speaking in tongues. Um, and he does this thing where he like says he has a bit of holy water and sprinkles it on her and she freaks out. But then later when he's talking to Chris, he's like, it was tap water. I just said that. So he does not really believe her. Um, but then he finds out that when she was speaking in tongues, she was actually speaking English backwards. There was like, she was, he was like recording it and then played the recordings backwards and t- turns out she was speaking <laughs> she was speaking in tongues in a way um and also um i think the the like chris's like personal assistant one of the other people in the house like takes him up to her room at night and she's like scratched help me into her mm-hmm. stomach this is when marin um is kind of brought into the situation like they go find him because he's like one of the only priests who has performed an exorcism before and they mentioned that it like nearly killed him um so he and Karas are at the house uh trying to do the exorcism um and it's not really working and eventually Marin dies because uh, the demon is just too strong and is like fucking with them um and then at one point uh Karas, like because the demon is like uh provoking him he's like beating up reagan who I, it's it's still the body of a child so i feel like that was very not cool of him but <laughs> he's like beating her up and then he's like desperately pleading the demon to take him instead so the demon like jumps to his body and then he jumps out the window and dies and then reagan is like free again um is that the end that's all i remember happening 
so yeah, that's basically the end. We do also see um, we we learn that Reagan has lost all memory of what happened, um, mm. but she she meets Father Dyer, um, who had like a weird homoerotic thing going on with Father Karras. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> she meets Father Dyer, uh, and she like, she kind of like hugs him when she sees his collar. So there's a the sense that even though she doesn't remember she's like grateful to priests she has like some memory of like catholicism good (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then depending on the version you watch i didn't ask you this do you know if you watch the theatrical or a director's cut i did not watch the director's cut okay because the director's cut does have like a couple more scenes and it has the the actual last scene and the director's cut is like the cop who is investigating the murder of Burke Dennings. Did we talk about this? She like murders this guy <laughs> while she's possessed. Uh, the cop who's investigating him and Father Dyer kind of become friends and make plans to go to the cinema. And that's the actual end of the movie and the director's cut as it is in the novel. Um... Yeah, so that's The Exorcist. A couple of scenes that I think we skipped over, you didn't talk about the masturbation, which is a pivotal scene where Chris is like, something really fucked up is going on. Maybe I do need a priest. Um, So, yeah, what happens in that scene? (laughs) Uh, I don't remember. Okay, so basically somebody has left a cross in Reagan's room and Chris is like, why is there a cross in Reagan's room? And nobody knows. And then she uh, she encounters Reagan masturbating very violently with the cross, making herself bleed. Uh, oh. Like something like, oh, let Jesus fuck you or whatever. Uh, there's like loads of blood spurting all over the place. And then <laughs> when, when Chris. Yeah, I would even hesitate to like call it a masturbation scene, like, scene so much as stabbing yourself. But sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. But it's like, it is <laughs> the fact that it is a sexual act is like sure. relevant. Like it does add to the horror. And then, anyway, and then when Chris comes in, she like grabs her head. Uh, and it, it tells her to lick her and gets blood all over her. Um, yeah, so that happens. Oh, you also skipped over one of my favorite things in this movie, which is that the first thing they suggest when Reagan is possessed is that she has ADHD. I find that so funny. <laughs> that is just what ADHD is like. It's easy it to get it mixed up with possession. You have to like really know what you're talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, iconic. Um, okay. <laughs> anyway, sorry. So initial initial thoughts. I you told me you'd mentioned before that you had tried to watch this and were too scared. I really don't know why I was because it wasn't scary at all. Mm. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I was just younger than I thought. I maybe I was just younger than I remember, but I did enjoy it. Um, yeah, I did like the uh Karras character and yeah it was it was gross I will say I didn't like how much goo there was <laughs> as part of the possession maybe that's just what really got to me I was feeling like extra germophobic the last time I was trying to watch it but mm-hmm. yeah I don't love the goo but it was fun it made it it was part of it, it oh yeah I was gonna ask do you know how old you were when you first tried to watch it no okay because 
So I, I wanted to talk about my experience of watching this movie as a child and then as an adult because I I think it made a huge difference what age I was when I first watched it. So when I, I don't know for sure how old I was, but I know I was younger than Reagan. I think I might have been like 10. And when I That's first too watched young it, to watch The Exorcist. Uh, mm, I, I agree that it's too young to watch this, but not for the reason one might think. I don't think it's because I was traumatized by like the horrors <laughs> or whatever. Um, I think I was too young to understand it, definitely. Um, mm. And I think, yeah, so I found it very funny. Um, I thought it was like really cool that she was swearing and being violent and sexual. <laughs> Uh, because when you're 10 years old that's like so like oh we're not supposed to do that it's like you know Mm -hmm. rebellious um and also so I don't want to get into like I keep saying I don't want to talk about my like childhood hang-ups and then I do it every episode but anyway yeah you do (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I also, I did not understand the religious aspects, even though, so I'm from my household that was allegedly not religious, but also like was very like Catholic in a way where you insist you're not Catholic. Uh, And I I think I brought that into this movie um, (laughs) as well. Because I don't like, I was not taught about Satan or hell or any of that, but I'm still like, you know, you're still aware of it as a thing. I don't know. Anyway, so I didn't understand what I was looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Does any of that resonate with you? It does resonate with me, but I guess we would have called ourselves Catholic. I don't know. I guess we were just like bad at being Catholic. Mm. See, my parents I are. Think... My parents would tell you that they're atheists, but they're lying. <laughs> my parents would tell you that they're Catholics, but we only went to church on like Christmas, so. Who knows? Hmm. Uh, anyway, oh yeah, I also, this like un- unearthed memories of w- uh, when I was about that age and this boy in my class like dared me to sell my soul to Satan and I was like, okay, <laughs> I'll do it because I'm tough. I'm not scared of Satan. And I looked up like real Satanist rituals on Google <laughs> and found a very legit one. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then I was about to do it. I was like, wait this is scary i like to believe this i'm not gonna do this so i didn't do it so which i think i think does exemplify what i'm talking about in that like oh i wasn't taught to fear satan but like when when i stopped to think of it i was like i was like wait i do believe in this guy i don't like this guy yeah understandable Um, yeah so the good thing is i didn't sell my soul so i still have it i think (laughs) (laughs) anyway as i was saying when i watched this as an adult quite recently i think like a couple of years ago uh i had a very different reaction uh number one because i was looking at reagan and realizing that she's a child because i don't think i knew Mm -hmm. that when i first watched it because i was younger than her and being like wow this is a child that horrible things are happening to uh no wonder people are like horrified um and then number two I was just like more because when you watch this as a kid as a rebellious kid trying to like be like yeah I watched The Exorcist I'm tough you only focus on the like masturbation scene the like swearing the like out there stuff and this is a very slow movie 
and it's in very many ways a drama. It is a horror movie. Everybody in the like the making of was like, it's not a horror movie. It's a movie about faith. <laughs> but I was like, shut the fuck up. Horror movies could be about faith. <laughs> <laughs> it is a horror movie. But anyway, as a child, I only wanted to focus on the like extreme scenes. As an adult, I was more re- willing to like sit and think. Uh, which made me like understand it a bit more. So I kind of found mm-hmm. it scarier as an adult than I did as a child. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm I'm almost done telling you about my childhood trauma. I have one more thing that's just really funny that I think I should share. <laughs> um, did I tell you about my seizure that sure. I had when I was like six? No, you did not. Okay, so when I was like six... Uh, it was around Christmas time, and I went Christmas caroling with my mother for the first time. I had never done this before. And as I was going Christmas caroling and singing songs about Jesus, I suddenly had a seizure and had to be taken to hospital. And this is very funny to me because I feel like it's like a perfect setup for a possession movie. <laughs> Like, oh, I was raised by these lapsed Catholics. I wasn't baptized. And then the moment I start singing these, like, Christian songs, my body rejects it. And I started started speaking in tongues. I actually did. I was, like, babbling incoherently. Um, Wow. And that's when the demon entered my body. And then I remained possessed for quite a few years, I think. (laughs) I would like to ask if this, um, this story is... Uh, part of the lobotomy theory that you have or is that like completely Mm. separate no I think it was part of it uh, because I was also getting to this much like Reagan after my possession I was also subjected to medical tests and brain scans and this is when I think I was lobotomized (laughs) I personally don't think they would immediately lobotomize you but hey (laughs) yeah they're just like yeah that's the thing to do like right go yeah Okay. It'll fix it right cool. up. Anyway. Great. Uh, I think it didn't take. I think I need a second one. <laughs> <laughs> Are we allowed to joke? I don't think. I don't know if you're allowed to joke about lobotomies. Has it been like long enough that like people don't care? <laughs> Are we gonna get cancelled for we joking might get about? This is about my trauma, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he genuinely thinks he will have lobotomized. So leave him alone. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> okay, moving on. I'm so sorry for spending so long talking about myself. The Exorcist. Well, okay, mm. going back to what I just want to clarify, you could probably cut this out. I just want to clarify why I think the priest is hot. It was specifically <laughs> the scene where he was talking to Chris about whether or not it was a legit um, possession and she's like making him a drink and she's like oh let me go to the kitchen to get ice because we've run out and he's like no no I don't need it don't worry about it I don't know what about that (laughs) that was when I knew (laughs) I don't know what it is about that but I was like that makes him hot anyway okay things that I wanted to talk about uh, okay question number one and this is another very important hard-hitting question for you do you think i'd be a good priest no why not <laughs> I don't, um i don't know i think you would find it very boring I don't aren't think they I like would. not allowed to like <laughs> i don't think they're allowed to like do cool stuff 
Yes, they are. He goes to the movies and boxes. <laughs> but aren't, wouldn't there be like movies that you're not allowed to watch as a priest? But I guess who's going to tell you what to do? You're a priest. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're the authority. Unless the Pope <laughs> shows up in your house and is like, stop watching this movie. <laughs> I just think um, it's not going to be as homoerotic as you might initially hope. And I think wow. you're going to be disappointed by that. <laughs> Yeah. I would be disappointed by that. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm <laughs> moving on. So, um, so did you know The Exorcist is based on a real story? Ooh. No, I did not. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there was a news article that the writer of the novel saw. Uh, about a boy, notable, the the gender difference, a boy who was exercised by a bunch of priests uh, over, or a bunch of, I guess it was one priest, by one priest over (laughs) over a period of time. uh, And he decided to research this story and use it as the basis for his novel. Um, And apparently the Ouija board thing comes from that. Apparently that's what he had done as well. And also, uh, like, the the letters rising on the skin, according to him. I, I haven't... I don't know where he got this information from, but that's what he said in the making of documentary. Um, we will talk about gender in this movie, I think, in a little bit. But, like, let's flag this as the beginning of that. It is notable that he felt the need to change the boy into a girl for his novel. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, I just I think it's fun the amount of uh, the movies, horror movies that claim to be based on real events. Like a lot of them would be fully lying, uh, <laughs> but I think this one is not fully lying. It's only lying a little bit. What do What do you want to start with? Do you want to talk about faith? <laughs> sure. <laughs> what do you have to say about faith? Ah, uh, so this is a movie about faith. Mm-hmm. According to the people who don't want to say it's a horror movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I do think it's a movie about faith. It's a horror movie about faith. Um, yeah. Uh, something that I found interesting during my rewatch for this podcast was I was watching it uh, like quite late at night. I was tired. And I didn't find it so scary this time around. But there was one moment during the exorcism. Uh, Father Marin was doing something and I suddenly had this realization that either God was real or not and both of those possibilities horrified me (laughs) yeah okay I mean there's probably there's probably a third option I don't think it's either God is real or or not but uh, yeah God is sort of real in the middle (laughs) Anyway, sorry, yes. So, what what is this movie saying about faith, in your opinion? Um, I don't know. It's saying, I guess it's saying, I don't know. It's talking about things being real if you believe in them. But I guess I haven't uh, thought about it that much. Oh, is that what it's saying? I I don't think so. I think it's much more... I think it's much more like oh this is the modern world where we rely on science uh, and we've like moved past such silly superstitions but what if they're real actually and what if we <laughs> need to like embrace them um 
so it's calling it you think the movie is um calling for more exorcisms i think so bring back exorcisms and it was really effective actually by the way (laughs) it absolutely worked as an ad for exorcisms (laughs) that people watch this and were like i want to get exercise and then they did and then like the protestants started doing exorcisms it was crazy uh i re-listened to the yeah, like watching things about exorcisms, even though it seems horrible and like very taxing on everyone and very gross, you kind of do want to get one. And like, what if all of my issues could suddenly be resolved? Mm. It's just like a bad couple of hours and then you feel better. It's very appealing, I think. Yeah, I, I re-listened to the You're Wrong About episode about exorcisms for this podcast to like refresh by exorcism thoughts and that's basically a point that they keep making is like exorcism as as an alternative to like the therapy that was popular at the time Uh, and especially Mm -hmm. because this is around the time a lot of people have made this connection between like the satanic panic and exorcism and things becoming popular and also like split personalities and repressed memories becoming becoming popular because they kind of like work together but also against each other in interesting ways uh, and actually multiple personalities are mentioned in The Exorcist as well, which yeah. is interesting. Uh, but anyway, in the You're Wrong About episode, they keep talking about how, like, if you're someone who's, like, having a bad time mental health-wise and you go to a therapist in the 70s, the therapist might insist that you are repressing some horrible memory and, like, the solution is to unearth this memory. And actually, something else I read about The Exorcist uh, basically made the comparison that this is an exorcism in a way. Um, <laughs> like, it's just a secular version of The exor- Exorcism where a therapist, like, through therapy through talking will like exercise you by just unearthing the memory and that's it that's the end which is very much the way they talked about these things uh at the time it's like once you identify the memory you're cured um and then yeah in the you're wrong about episode they also talked about like how a lot of satanic panic started out because uh like if you identify this repressed memory and you're still not okay, your therapist might be like, no, there's something else that you're repressing and you have to keep digging and you have to keep like inventing things basically. And you will mm-hmm. eventually get to like, oh, my school, t- my school teacher, uh, like tried to sell me to Satan and there was like tunnels under the school uh, and like all sorts of crazy things. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. if you don't go to a therapist and you go to a priest instead, they will just be like, bam, 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 exorcism, you're fine now moving on you don't have to to dig within your subconscious you are all good um yeah um yeah from this any any other thoughts on repressed (laughs) memories or multiple personalities um no i don't have any hot takes on repressed memories or multiple personalities Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, actually, okay, completely off topic. <laughs> I did I did one of those you quizzes that's like, what male manipulator are you? And I got Tyler Durden. <laughs> Is this related to the exorcist? <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to tell you that. Okay. I thought well, this, it was important. This is related to multiple personalities. Yes, obviously. multiple yeah. personalities yeah, 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 yeah. thing. Uh, I'm I just think saying. I, yeah uh okay anyways no i just think it's very interesting the way these things are interconnected and both like playing off each other as alternatives to each other but also 
connected and like mirrors of each other like they are both exorcisms in a way mm-hmm. uh, and they're both very concerned with satanism at this point in time because all of the psychiatrists were also trying to encourage you to think that your teachers were satanists um yeah i do want to say my hot take on multiple personalities is sure. that i i have read about it and people have told me that basically it is fake. However, I don't feel comfortable saying that it's fake. Like number one, because I don't know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. But number two, because like I feel like the nature of consciousness is so like weird uh, and like mm-hmm. illogical that any any understanding of yourself as a person with like a continuing personality is already a delusion. So, like, whether you understand as, yourself as one person or multiple people, like, it's equally delusions. It's just, like, different ways of interpreting the same phenomena, I think. That's my That is take. a good point. That is a good point. And also all the think pieces that people do where they're like, I, you're, you can only know for a fact that you have consciousness and you can't. Um, there's no way to prove that anyone around you is also uh, conscious so I don't think we can really say that people's experience of their own consciousness is incorrect because we don't even have ways to prove that other people's consciousness exists so I love how yeah. you're characterizing like a very old philosophy as recent <laughs> think pieces <laughs> because I don't like I don't like that theory and I it annoys me so i'm uh dismissing it i do think the whole like descartes like i think before therefore i am thing he's kind of like coming at it from a very biased perspective that he doesn't realize sorry like philosophy i takes <laughs> that he doesn't realize is biased like he's very much like starting from the individual whereas a lot of like different people and communities around the world would not think to start from the individual they would start from the community like i i know i exist because of my interactions with others like i am created through my interactions with others uh but mm-hmm. he's like obsessed with himself so he's thinking of himself first anyway uh- <laughs> And also, the only people I hear talking about that theory are very annoying. So that's another reason I want to dismiss and belittle um, philosophy in that way. I think more philosophy should think about how annoying it is versus it is whether very it annoying. is true. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what's really important. Um, okay, so that's, we've kind of gone off topic from faith, but I think we got into some interesting stuff. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, okay yeah on the topic of faith and interpreting this movie it's interesting the way uh the author of the book william peter blatty is so focused on there being like one correct interpretation of this book and making sure that everybody knows what it is uh because he there was there's, there's a, a segment on the movie where, where he's talking to william friedkin about the different versions of the movie that exist and about how he doesn't like that friedkin cut out these scenes from the book whatever because he thinks like we need the scene where Marin explains to Karis what it's all about because we need to know what it's all about i mean he needs to tell us uh whereas friedkin was like no we don't need to spell that out for people they're not stupid um and I, I tend to agree with Friedkin on this, and he's re-added those scenes for the director's cut, and I think that was a bad move, um, <laughs> because, like, yeah, number one, don't tell me how to interpret the story, I'll interpret it how I want. 
<laughs> number two like he's kind of already told us this much like uh, the part where Marin is like oh this isn't about the girl it's about us it's about making us despair like I know that because I've been watching the movie you don't have to explain it to me mm-hmm. um yeah anyway yeah no I just think it's interesting the way he's so insistent on everybody interpreting the story the right way so would you like to interpret the story the wrong way <laughs> for fun um no I'll let him have his okay I'll let him be happy <laughs> I do in a minute we'll get to a paper that I read that does uh, that does present a different way to read the story which I thought was very interesting although not the one that I would immediately go to um, but we'll get to that in a minute mm. yeah oh I want to talk about Chris being a film star do you have any thoughts on this um no do you i just think it's very interesting uh because i don't think we see many film stars as normal people in movies like i think if there's a film star in a movie it's probably going to be a movie about hollywood uh but Mm -hmm. here like it's not about her being a film star she just is a film star it's just very strange to me Mm. yeah i think one time trevor noah talked about i don't know if this is whatever Trevor Noah talked about how like people were asking him um does like his family in South Africa know that he's famous and he was talking about how to like in places other than America fame is like as a concept doesn't exist so they're like to his family his job is being famous like he goes to work to be famous and he comes home and that's it (laughs) <laughs> as compared to like American concepts of fame where it's like just something that's a part of who you are so I think that's an interesting way to look at it that's in this movie like her being a movie star is literally just her job mm. and there is another part where she like does sign an autograph for someone but it's like it's separate from who she is as a person which mm-hmm. is interesting don't really see that anymore yeah uh Apparently she's based on Shirley MacLaine, also the character. Uh, and sorry, I really wanted to talk about this. It's not. It's not important. But in the in one of the behind the scenes things that I was watching, they mentioned that Jane Fonda rejected this role, and uh, apparently because she said, "quote Why would I want to be involved with a capitalist ripoff piece of shit like this?" unquote <laughs> Somehow I doubt that's exactly what she said. However, I hope she did. It would be <laughs> is iconic. This, is this movie particularly capitalist? I don't know. What do you think? Is it particularly capitalist? I don't think so, but what do I know? Maybe Jane Fonda knows something that I don't. Jane Fonda <laughs> knows everything. Uh, I don't think it's capitalist. <laughs> I do think it's a very American movie. Uh perhaps mm. even american like imperialist uh let's talk about this what, what do you think yeah i think that um archaeology shouldn't be a thing and we should stop digging up stuff and i've said that <laughs> a million times i don't know why people are just allowed how long how many years does it have to be before it is grave robbing i don't understand where the like line is drawn why are they allowed to do that <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh it is 
so it's interesting. One of the things people keep talking about with this movie, or at least did in the 70s and 80s, whatever, uh, was that it was based in, like, the heart of America and Georgetown, like, right next to, like, where the White House is. It, mm. yeah, I mean, not right next to it. It's, it's near there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how, like, they kept saying, like, oh, it's not in Transylvania. Uh, like, it's it's real people in America. <laughs> Um, which is interesting like that's part of the fear but at the same time it is kind of like it comes from Iraq like don't worry mm-hmm. it's not American it <laughs> it's comes not from really Iraq. us don't yeah don't be too panicked um, yeah it's so there is I think there is some American imperialist anxieties uh, and yeah archaeology bad <laughs> <laughs> no more digging just leave it leave it alone mm-hmm. oh a fun thing about this movie is the hysteria that existed around it when it came out. Um, I'm sure you've heard some of this. I have not. Like, they're like, oh, don't go watch The Exorcist. Evil. People fainted. People had to be, like, carted away to the hospital. <laughs> Stuff. Which is still a very effective marketing uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, was it was it that it was like because it was talking about evil stuff or is hmm. because the movie was too scary? I think there's a bit of both. Okay. Uh, because it's too scary, like I think it's... This like just happened actually, I was just thinking about it because I was on Twitter and I saw people talking about Terrifier 2, talking about how people were fainting in the cinema watching Terrifier mm-hmm. 2. And I was immediately like, damn, I have to watch that. I've never seen the first one, but... I mean, because either either I don't faint and I'm like, I'm tough. I don't faint watching horror movies. <laughs> or I do faint, which sounds kind of incredible. I kind of want to watch something so horrible that makes me faint. Yeah, either way, it's very appealing. I think it is, yeah, very, especially for people who are fans of horror, it's a very effective marketing tool. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, there was, like you mentioned, there's also a bit of like, it like it includes like real evil this movie which i think is interesting because i do see this movie as very like catholicism good satan bad uh Mm -hmm. but apparently that's not so simple to other people i feel like christians get weird about mentioning satan at all even if you're saying he's bad Mm. so i think there was always going to be that kind of backlash because you're like the thing about bad stuff is that you're not meant to talk about it. So the fact that they're bringing up possession in any way or Satan or demons is like a bad thing. Yeah. Two things that I think are fun to mention. Uh, one, again, in the You're Wrong About episode episode, uh, episode about exorcism, uh, at one point it's mentioned that a lot of Protestants think Catholics are satanic. Um, <laughs> because there's like too many candles and robes and strange languages going on. <laughs> There is a lot of similar imagery. You have to admit that. Yeah, yeah, yeah which is a good point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and another thing is, so if you didn't know, like The Exorcist, both the book and the movie, was like created in collaboration with real priests so that it would be like accurate and respectful to Catholicism. And there's like real priests in the movie. Uh, Father Dyer and some other priests are both played by real priests, which... Side note, I wonder if that's... Why. So yeah. Father Dyer in the book is really gay. I wonder if he's less gay in the movie because he's played by a priest. They were like, we don't want to tell this guy to play gay. <laughs> but he still was pretty obviously gay in the movie. No, so I guess was, they didn't like turn the it down that much. He basically tells you that he's gay. 
there is uh where's that quote let me <laughs> he's something about like oh us faggots are leaving the priest because black isn't in anymore <laughs> <laughs> in the book i think it says gays in that edition in later editions they changed it <laughs> um, interesting yeah wow. but cool. i guess they didn't want to ask him to say that <laughs> <laughs> sorry off topic um what was i saying yeah anyway and some some priests will tell you that if you make art depicting satan as he really is which is to say that he exists and is evil i guess then satan will not like that and will retaliate and that mm. is allegedly why this movie is cursed Oh, they're so scared of everything. They're so boring. <laughs> uh, did you know this movie was cursed? No, I didn't know it was cursed. Mm. And I also don't think it is cursed. I don't think it is cursed either. So if you listen to some of the reasons... Okay, there's one There's one point that I do find compelling. So apparently there was <laughs> a mysterious fire. No one knows how it started. came out of nowhere during the filming. That's That's interesting. That's compelling. But some of the other stuff. Number one, like... People tend to conflate the movie being cursed with the ways the actors were mistreated by the director. So, <laughs> uh, I watched, I think, on Shudder, one of like cursed movies. There's like a cursed movie, docuseries, whatever, and there's an episode about The Exorcist, and they talk about how uh, the actress playing Chris at one point. Uh, and she was like, stop hitting me so hard. Uh, but then William Friedkin was like, no, I want the true reaction. So hit her harder. Uh, and then there's another scene where Linda Blair was like convulsing on the bed and she's on this machine. And they like, uh, they did something wrong and she was in actual pain and she was screaming out like, stop, I'm in pain. And they're like, this is a great take. Oh, um, God. And people didn't conflict that with the curse, which I think... Listen, <laughs> it's not workplace violations. It's not harassment. You're actually just cursed. And there's nothing you can do about that. So you William should get over Friedkin it. William was taken over by Satan. <laughs> it's not, there were real demons on set that day. So it's nobody's fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so that's one thing. Another thing is people uh, talk about uh, a lot of people dying during the filming as being related to the uh, to the curse which if if you say that right away you're like okay that sounds that sounds weird a lot of people die but then they talk about it and they're like oh this guy's brother died and like the, <laughs> the guy who like served us food his cousin died <laughs> it's just a lot of like random okay. people who are vaguely related to the film and it's like people <laughs> die all the time <laughs> Uh, so mm. anyway, I don't believe it's cursed. Sorry, <laughs> it's a cool story though. Mm. Okay, maybe we'll talk about some of the analysis of this movie that I read, and we can react to that. Okay. So, the first thing that I did for this episode is I remembered that Carol J. Clover's book *Men, Women, and Chainsaws*. Uh, has a whole chapter about possession movies. So people people never talk about this in relation to this book. People tend to focus on the slasher stuff she talks about, which is interesting. But I think I actually prefer the chapter on occult movies, but basically mostly possession movies and mostly The Exorcist and the movie Witchboard. Um, yeah, so... She talks about this, obviously, in terms of gender, because that's what her whole book is about. And she talks about how in in the possession genre, we often see a 
female story and a male story. Uh, and the female story is kind of a cover for what is really a story about a man in crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you think of like the possession genre, I think it's often thought of as a very like woman focused thing. But what she points out is like very often like what we see is like the woman's body as a vehicle for the man as a person having a crisis. Um, yeah, what's your first reaction to that? That is a good point um, that I probably wouldn't have noticed. Hmm. But yeah, I think it is true. I think a lot of horror movies about possession are usually women, but it is always a male demon. Mm -hmm. So to go back to what I said in the beginning about this being based on a true story, um, she says that the, the, the fact that they felt the need to make Reagan a girl, even though the real story quote-unquote real story (laughs) is a boy um is about a boy is interesting because uh according to clover uh, women and vaginas which are seen as being related to women you don't have to tell me they're not guys (laughs) are seen as like being open uh they're Uh associated with like pregnancy and possession is like a type of pregnancy like you're open to demons coming into your body and spiritually impregnating you um whereas yeah yeah so it's seen as like a feminine thing to be open to satan to be possessed also it's it's interesting that you mentioned that the demon is male because that's not quite true so oh, interesting. In, so the, the demon in this movie is in fact voiced by a woman. Uh, what's her name? I'm blanking. I forget, but she's a woman. Uh, but she was specifically chosen because she has a very androgynous voice. So they didn't want to give Reagan a male voice. They wanted to give her a very androgynous voice, um, which again, I think it's basically the same idea. Like, uh, like there is the horror of a girl with a man with a man's voice because it's transgressing gender, and then there's also the terror of like this very androgynous demon because the demon is transgressing gender. It's not fitting into our ideas of gender, so it's still the same idea. Um, mm. Yeah. Anyway, so to come back to the uh, Carl J. Clover book, she talks about another thing. She talks about in conjunction to the male female thing is the idea of white science versus black magic in possession and occult movies which as the name suggests is racialized but she mentions it is also often gendered because science is rational and male and magic is irrational and emotional and female um yeah i think this is very obviously present here what do you agree um maybe where do you see it well, again, like the the demon it comes from Iraq, um, <laughs> the magic comes from like the the Middle East versus mm-hmm. like the white American scientists, uh, but also <laughs> Catholicism is ethnic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, and as she mentions, so she talks a lot about the book actually, even though this is ostensibly 
like about movies because the the book the exorcist is very very similar to the movie the movie is like a very faithful adaptation but like with less interiority i guess like in the book you spend more time as Karis like thinking about stuff and in the movie you see him looking pensive (laughs) (laughs) um she thinks the movie is kind of incoherent compared to the book and i don't really agree i don't think we needed him to be doing loads of monologues or voiceovers i think we get the idea (laughs) Mm. um Anyway, so she mentions that we see this white science versus black magic battle going on within Karras because he's both a priest and a psychiatrist. He's both rational and emotional. Um, Yeah, so that's going on. At the same time, there's a bunch of gender stuff going on. So according to Clover, the the women or girls in the possession movies always have to be like gender transgressive in some way or otherwise transgressive to cover cover up for the the gender transgression that's going on with the man so caress mm. is arguably closeted is this something you picked up on i don't think it's as obvious in the movie hmm is he so or is that wishful thinking what do you think? <laughs> might be a bit of both but <laughs> So this is more obvious in the book, I think. There's a lot of anxiety around sexuality with not just Karis, but the priests in general. There's a lot of, like, people come to him and are like, oh, I'm afraid to, like, hang out with other priests because they'll think I'm gay. Um, And then, as I mentioned, like, Father Dyer has a whole thing going on with him and he's like, so we're both gay, right? (laughs) Um, And then the, the demon taunts him with his sexuality both in the book and the movie i noticed uh second Mm -hmm. time around or third time around um yeah so that's going on but as as carol j clover points out quote our concern here is not whether karis is or isn't or has or hasn't or hasn't but could it is rather the fact that his spiritual reawakening is cast in the language and imagery of opening up of letting things in in the fact that Reagan's body stands as the extreme and negative example of the idea, and the fact that all Karis' intimate discussions on the subject are with other men, first and foremost with the detective Kinderman, but also fathers Fryer and Marin. Uh, so yeah, it doesn't like you don't have to believe that he's actually closeted, but the important thing is that there is this uh, this danger of uh, aberrant sexuality or gender going on, uh, and this as clover points out a lot of what happens in occult or possession movies is that the the man undergoes a transformation where he becomes more feminine basically Mm -hmm. uh where he has to embrace his feminine side that he's been uh, repressing which is as we mentioned tied into the spiritual magical sentimental thing he has to open up in a way because opening up is feminine um (laughs) And then to make up for this, we have to have the balance with the female storyline where we see Reagan as this nice, innocent, heterosexual child becoming uh, this queer demon, but then like being restored to normalcy at the end of the movie. Mm. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> you don't sound impressed. Do you have any, <laughs> any counterpoints? Um, no, I don't have any counterpoints. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. I like I like it. Uh-huh. I don't know if I see it, but I do like it. 
Okay. I do like it as well. I mean, there's. I think there's a lot of things going on in this movie. There's lots of different ways to interpret it, unlike unlike what uh, William Peter Blatty would have you believe. <laughs> <laughs> and this is one interpretation of it, which I think is fun. Um, yeah, but it is. Yeah, it's. Do you think it is kind of misogynistic in a way, in the way that it uses Re- Reagan less as her own person uh, that we should have empathy for, and more as a vehicle, as a tool for. Karis's transformation hmm. yeah that is I guess yeah that is misogynistic but I don't know I feel like we do spend a bit of time with Reagan especially the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. which they could have not done so I don't know I guess it's we do still feel for her as a person and empathize with her especially because she is a child mm. yeah uh, but at one point, is she a child who is a person? And at one point, is she like a child as an ideal of what a child should be, which is this like pure, innocent thing? I feel like often in movies, children exist only as ideals of what children should yeah. be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, as a side note, I think it's fun that she compares The Exorcist to Witchboard because I think Witchboard is an even better example uh, because it is—it's not very good, but it's fun. Uh, it's about—it's also about like um, Ouija boards and possession and stuff, and it is famously very, very homoerotic due to its misogyny mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's, like, <laughs> it's ostensibly about a love triangle where like these two guys are into the same woman, but she's so not a character that it's really about them being into each other. You know that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So that's that's kind of a better, more blunt example of what she's talking about in terms of possession movies. Uh, but do check sure. it out. I think it's fun. <laughs> it sounds fun. Um, yes. Anyway, so going off of this, I then read another paper, uh, which is kind of both expanding on this and offering an alternative reading. Uh, it's it's by Andrew Scahill. It's called Demons Are a Girl's Best Friend, Queering the Revolting Child in The Exorcist. Mm. Uh, and here we are not really focused on Karis. We don't care about him. He's not important. We're focused on Reagan as a person and as an, as a metaphorical thing. I don't know. Anyway. Sure. So this paper characterizes... Uh, the possession as a form of rebellion Uh, and Reagan is referred to as a quote revolting child in kind of like both meanings of the word revolting like both in like kind of like disgusting but also like revolution like revolting against the the patriarchal and adult society that Mm. she is living under as a side note like this this paper kind of talks about like children as a as an other and as an oppressed class. Do you have any thoughts on children being an oppressed class? Um, I do have thoughts on children being an oppressed class because I think they are. I think it's something that people have been talking about like more and more now, for example, with like, I don't know, I've seen conversations about how um, cities are not built for people who don't have cars and the like obvious and largest class of people who wouldn't have access to vehicles like that are children so just things about that like how 
the world as it is isn't really built with children in mind as individuals and people in their Mm. own right. Yeah. I myself have struggled with whether this is the right way to think about it, like whether they are an oppressed class or just like a very vulnerable group of people. And one thing I thought about, like, oh, but is is this really a fair comparison to make? Because like everybody is a child at some point. It's just a phase that we go through. But then actually you could say the same thing about disability in many cases, because everybody Mm -hmm. will probably become disabled at some point in their life. Um, So maybe it is the right way to think about it. Um, Yes. Anyway. So, uh, and then, yeah, this paper also uses queerness as a way to look at Reagan in this movie, both in terms of, like, you know, queerness in a very wide sense, but also in the narrow sense, because she is seen as, like, transgressing gender norms or whatever, but also, like, other norms. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and there's a connection made between, I think this is very interesting, this is something I've noticed in quite a few different pieces of media, where you have like the figure of the queer child who is not growing up properly. Um, I think you can even see this in things like Brideshead mm-hmm. Revisited, where like Sebastian is like stunted, like he has his his teddy bear that he takes everywhere, and that's like part of his being like queer, like he's not growing up into good adult heterosexuality. And also in like Little Women, I think I think there's the specter of adult sexual uh, heterosexuality that Joe needs to like grow up and embrace. Uh, Little mm. Women is a horror story, by the way. <laughs> uh huh. Sure. Anyway, so that connection is made. Uh, and this, yeah, Reagan is seen as like a ruined, abject child that is not acting as a child should and is not growing up into an adult as she should. So it talks about basically two readings of this movie, two ways that spectators have engaged with this movie. And there's like the dominant plot, which is a rescue plot where we see like Reagan being taken over by this demon and then rescued and brought back to normalcy. But then mm-hmm. there is another way in which Reagan has been embraced by like fan magazines and stuff where they love the idea of her as a demon much more than her as a normal human child. And they mm-hmm. embrace this as like as a kind of rebellion. Yeah, I think people love demons. <laughs> I think people think they're cool. <laughs> they are kind of cool. They are, also, we uh, all have but that. To this I feel paper, like it's also... like cathartic to see people like rebel um mm. especially when it's that extreme so i think a lot of people like enjoy seeing that on screen yeah i, I think that's true uh but this paper also like points out the the queer aspect of it which is that a lot of like young gays and girls watching reagan might uh see her as aspirational in the way that like oh they're not meant to be sexual and like gayness in children is always like hypersexualized and I, in adults also but anyway um uh, and she's not meant to like do this and that she's meant to be like the good heterosexual child uh and this mm-hmm. is like an alternative to that it's this paper also points out the importance of the masturbation scene which also is kind of a lesbian incest scene because <laughs> it like makes her mother perform horrifying conolingus on her um and the horror mm-hmm. of incest and lesbianism in that scene um yeah it's also pointed out that linda blair was also in this like movie 
that who's named Born Innocent. Uh, it's this movie about her going to prison and being raped by a gang of lesbians, and the way these were like tied together in the public imagination. Uh, mm. Where Linda Blair is always like needs to be rescued from demons and lesbians, and it's. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. So one thing that this paper like finally gets to is like to embrace this, this, uh, this possession as a queer rebellion, whatever. You kind of do need to see it as not Reagan being taken over by a demon, but as like an expression of her subconscious. And you kind of need to like not see a difference between possessed Reagan and real Reagan. Uh, mm. which is kind of like my problem because I don't think I see that. If I were to see that, then I would see it. Then I understand why you would see this as a rebellion. Um, yeah. Mm. So for example, it mentions, for example, it, it draws a parallel between the scene in the hospital where she's having that archery graffiti, whatever, I don't know what's it called. Uh, and also the, the, the exorcism and how both of them are this like patriarchal adult figure trying to take control of her and like penetrate her with needles um, <laughs> and how she is like rebelling against both of these authority figures. Um, mm. Yeah, that's interesting. What do you think? <laughs> I think the movie does leave like a little room for doubt for whether she's actually being possessed because when Kara mm-hmm. shows up he has like a very specific list of things that he's looking for that he doesn't like match exactly to this case which even though at the end like they do decide that this is a real possession but I guess there is a little bit of wiggle room for whether this person is actually possessed or they are just allowing themselves to rebel this way, which I think is fun and allows that reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's, what's interesting, actually, I was thinking about this paper more and it occurred to me that maybe this is uh, one of the big differences between how I watched this movie as a child and as an adult. Um, because as a child, I did delight in it. And I was like, wow, this is great. I love that this is happening to her. Versus as a ch- as an adult, I'm like, this is a child that's being taken over by a demonic entity. Uh, and I kind of want to protect her from that. So it's like, yeah, maybe as a child, I did I did get some... That is what I was getting out of it. I was like, yeah, rebel against the sister, Reagan. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then as I grew up, I became a class traitor to the the (laughs) class of children. (laughs) I think you're allowed to say that your your protective instincts over children just went out. I don't think you're a class traitor. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So I think that's that's the end of the most of the analysis I wanted to present to you. Can you think of any other themes you want to explore or anything? No. Not really. Okay. So in that case... Oh, sorry. One thing I wanted to mention before we move on. Actually, two things. No, yeah, one thing. Um, is that in the making of people kept talking about how Friedkin made documentaries and they kept talking about how this movie was like realistic and shot like a documentary, uh, which is interesting to me because I don't think it is. What do you think? No, I don't think it's shot like a documentary. Actually, I did want to mention, I did like how um, those like 
clips and quick shots of like random faces showing up in the movie it was very fun which I didn't expect from what I had heard about The Exorcist I thought it was and I thought it was like more of a serious horror movie and I thought those bits made it a little bit more like fun horror (laughs) but I did really enjoy it Mm -hmm. I did like it but yeah for those reasons I don't think it was really shot like a documentary yeah, I don't think so either. But then, like, maybe in the 70s, it felt like it. Because, like, I guess in the 70s, like, you've been watching, like, horror movies up until now have been, like, silly. There's, like, flying skeletons or there's, like, I don't know, Bella Lugosi's Dracula in Transylvania, <laughs> as they keep saying. It's not here. Um, mm-hmm. So I suppose maybe in the cultural moment that it came out, it felt like a change where it felt more realistic it felt like mm-hmm. something that could happen to you but watching it in 2022 I would not call this documentary like <laughs> no yeah so in that case do you want to talk about the franchise sure um I mean how much of the franchise have you seen how oh. many movies are there okay so let me tell you about the exorcist movies so okay the Exorcist 2, uh, the, uh, the Exorcist 2, The Heretic, came out in 1977 and mm. uh, was widely regarded as not very good. Uh, it okay. features, again, Linda Blair. She's going to this like weird, uh, Reagan is going to this like psychiatrist, doctor person uh, who is studying like weird paranormal children i don't know uh and richard burton is there and he's a priest and he again is like having emotions he's in crisis um (laughs) and i don't entirely know what else is going on in this movie however i would like to say that i kind of like this movie i think you all are wrong um Uh, I realize that, well, first of all, The Exorcist probably didn't need a sequel. It's probably like the sequel is probably kind of detrimental to the point. Mm-hmm. I realize that. However, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like that it kind of doesn't make any sense. I like the atmosphere of this movie. I think it's fun. I really like the architecture. I don't know how else mm-hmm. to explain it, but there's like shots like buildings like really weird buildings the like hospital she goes to is all like glass it's really weird it's just like I don't know I'm in the movie I'm having a good time and <laughs> I like that we get to spend more time with Reagan maybe this is like connected to what we were saying earlier about her being a vehicle for Karis's development versus in this movie I think she's more of a person even though again we do have a conflicted priest uh, she's still more, and I, I like seeing her as a person who has been possessed. And she's mm. like going around like, yeah, I used to be possessed. I'm not anymore. That was very <laughs> relatable to me. I also used to be possessed. <laughs> cool. Anyway, then there is The Exorcist 3, which came out later on in 1990. Uh, and this one is better regarded than the second one. Um, okay. I, Again, is it necessary? Definitely not. (laughs) 
it's another sequel. So this one does not focus on Reagan. This one focuses on like, what if after the demon went into Karis, he actually did not die. Uh, he just like fell and was injured. And then because he's possessed, people were like, oh, he's crazy. We're going to stick him in a mental hospital. And that's where he's been for ages until Father Dyer like discovers that he's there and is possessed by the demon. Uh, and also there's like spooky things going on because there's a demon. <laughs> Uh, I don't fully remember what happens, but I rem- it's a it's a it's a fun movie. I'm not saying it's bad. I do think the second one is underrated. Um, and Brad Dourif is here, and I love Brad Dourif. Um, yeah, so it's I understand. Yeah, it's a fun movie. It had some fun like scares. Do I think it's necessary? Is it as good as the original? Does it add anything to the story? No, it does not. <laughs> Anyway, and then for this podcast, I finally got around to watching the two prequels, which came out in 2004 wow. and 2005. Let me tell you something okay. about these two movies. Mm-hmm. They are the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So, what, what, uh, yeah. what is this movie that is two movies about? Okay, so it is about Father Merrin uh, back in, like, just after World War Two, And he, shockingly, is conflicted about his faith. Um, and he he's witnessed a lot of horrors from, like, the Nazis, and he's like, oh, God would never allow this to happen, so God must not be real, which is understandable. A lot of people would have thought and did think the same uh but then Mm -hmm. he's like i'm gonna become an archaeologist instead which we've established as a bad move (laughs) (laughs) and so he's in kenya and they are they discover this church and then they talk to like the people there and they're like oh don't don't go in there they're like we're gonna go in there then they like they they're like oh this church was built on top of something to keep it underneath i think we should excavate and let out this evil thing i think that would be a Mm -hmm. good idea uh mm-hmm. anyway and then shockingly there's a demon and it's pazuzu and this is his first encounter with pazuzu and then at the end of the movie he's like you know maybe i can be an archaeologist and a priest uh, <laughs> wow that's a real journey yeah so what happened with these two movies that are one movie is that they 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 made they start they made the first one directed by Paul Schrader and you might think hey Paul Schrader's a cool guy maybe this is a good movie it is not <laughs> <laughs> anyway they made the first movie with Paul Schrader and they were like Paul this is too weird people aren't going to like this uh, so we're going to make the same movie again and we're going to release the new one that we made uh, so they got wow. some, so they got another guy to direct it uh, who was it. I don't know, some other guy, Rennie Harvey. So it quite literally is the exact same movie. It's basically, like, they made some changes that I guess would make it more marketable. I don't know. Uh, and they, they recast some actors, but some of the actors were the same. And it's basically, it's it's the same. It's the same plot. It's the same. Uh, <laughs> wow. Weird. And then, yeah, so they released a new version, which is called The Exorcist The Beginning, and it did badly because it's a bad movie. And then the next <laughs> week they were like, well, that movie did badly. I think we should release the original that we had made because we already have it. And so they released the other one, which is called Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist in, in like the next year. And that one also did badly. And I assume a lot of people like me were like, hey, isn't this the same movie that I watched last year? <laughs> Yeah. Cool. So you don't need to watch those. 
they're bad. It was, <laughs> it was very interesting because I did not know this going in. I was just like, oh, there's two more Exorcist movies. I guess I better watch them. So I watched one. I was like, well, that was bad. Let me put on the next one. Started watching the next one. I was like, wait, then this happened last time. <laughs> they should put a warning before that. <laughs> just to yeah. let you know, this is the same movie. That's funny. <laughs> anyway. And there's a lot of, uh, Paul Schrader wanted to make some political points, I guess. So this, like, archaeologist priest guy keeps, like, talking. To, like, he's there's another priest with him, and the other priest is like, oh, these people are savages. And he's like, no, racism is bad. I will explain this to you, looking into the camera for, like, Wow. Thanks, Paul Schrader. Really appreciate it. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah, so you don't need to watch those movies. Anyway, and then... <laughs> There is also The Exorcist, the TV show, which I know you have watched. So would you like to talk about that? Um, well, it's been years since I watched it. Um, so, but it's, isn't it about like, what if um, Karis and Marin like did, met up and did that one exorcism and then decided, hey, we should hang out and keep doing exorcisms um, on a road trip through America. And so they do that. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, there's, it, it, they're new characters, but it's like, <laughs> idea. Yeah, I mean, we have the, the priest who's never done exorcisms, uh, and we have the priest who's done exorcisms, uh, and they're both kind of conflicted, yeah. I guess, in this version for extra drama, uh, in fun ways. One of them is in, like, mm. in heterosexual ways, and the other one is in bisexual ways. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was surprised watching The Exorcist that those like they are different characters, but I was surprised that those characters were in the original. But mm. yeah, it's a cool it's a cool idea. I should rewatch the show. It was fun. I should rewatch the show. Uh, my memory is that the first season was not that great, uh, and was kind of unnecessary. Again, as a continuation of the original Exorcist, I don't like you know when they make a new entry and they feel the need to like keep connecting it to the original like hey remember reagan this is like or whatever <laughs> uh which is kind of stupid um mm. yeah so i didn't like that but i still had a good time and then the second season i remember being even better and i really like john cho being possessed sorry spoilers john cho is possessed <laughs> yeah um cool Interesting in the way it subverts things, maybe, by having, like, the father figure be possessed instead of, like, a female child. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. We should rewatch The Exorcist TV show. <laughs> yeah. Yes. In conclusion, cool. priests are hot. I think I'd make a good priest. So that's The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. I feel like this was mostly me having issues for an episode. That's fine. Do you have any final thoughts? No. I don't want to be a priest, just so people know. Cool. But I do love a good ritual. Ritual's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Good. Okay. Uh, so, happy Halloween. Uh, what should our <laughs> listeners take into their Halloween from this episode? Mm. Um, maybe you don't have to behave the way society wants you to behave, and you can just, like, be possessed for a while, see how that mm. feels. I think we should all try it. I think so. Just rebel. Yeah. Or, alternately, we've discussed the power of ritual. Maybe incorporate some rituals into your Halloween. Have a seance. Sure. We've established it's a good idea because you'll get possessed. If our listeners would like to access show notes, how would they do so? 
they can go to our website, simoncaseysmovieclub.wordpress.com. Great. And if they would like to give us money? They can do that on our Patreon, patreon.com slash simoncasey. Uh, insert some joke about Catholicism giving money again. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll think of it and let you know. Um, if our listeners would like to suggest something for us to watch next time, how they do so? Well, they can email us, summoncaseysmovieclub at gmail.com, or they can tweet us at summoncaseyspod. Cool. And if they would like to leave us a review, how they do that? They can do that on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Uh, and also, incidentally, I'm also on Twitter at Cosmic Jellies. <laughs> and I'm on Twitter at Casey Nosa. Okay, so happy Halloween listeners and see you next time. Bye.